Welcome back to the Skill Point Podcast, the podcast on a mission to level up the recruitment marketing industry. We went into this episode with a big question on the agenda with our guest. How do we own the space in our audience's mind? Today, I'm joined by Chris Cranshaw, founder and manager director of Hall Agency, a creative marketing agency that focuses purely in the recruitment and talent and attraction space. It's been great watching Chris's journey from starting his agency back in the pandemic in 2020, just like myself, and then growing it to an impressive 12 strong agency based in Bristol. In this episode, we really discuss creating value in marketing and how we own our space, and then touch on Chris's journey and his thoughts about creating a great culture in such a short space of time. Hope you all enjoy this as much as I did. So, hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hey, Hayden. Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me today. We appreciate it. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, I've really wanted to get you on since the beginning. Um, I listened to your podcast with Glenn a while ago, and I was like, yeah, got, absolutely got to have him on. And you've actually been a company that we've always seen and admired for like the growth you've done and the work you've done, um, especially starting sort of similar sort of time of us in the pandemic. It was a tough period, wasn't it, to grow a business? Yes. Yeah very much so so no i appreciate that thank you no no absolutely um so we're now cool pre-cool sort of discussing what we might talk about one of the big topics that you sort of brought up was adding value and i think this yeah. is so poignant in this time because it's you really don't see it a lot of the time with recruitment agencies do you, you just see the same old boring stuff that doesn't add value so my sort of first question to sort of kick this off is, you know, how do you define value in uh, in the marketing space? So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting multifaceted answer to it. Um, I'll give you the, the, the very short term. The, the key thing about adding value, and if you strip back and look at actually what value means, is it's something that's going to be useful to somebody, whether that's value to yourself or whether it's value to, in the world of marketing, is your end target audiences. So I think that's the key thing is when, when you hear the term producing, producing content that's going to add value to your target audiences is actually really doing exactly that. And it's stripping back. And first and foremost, it's actually talking to your target audiences. Um, the amazing amount of, and you as an agency owner as well, you'll see other companies and what they're producing. And businesses that are just talking about themselves, what they've achieved, how great they are, what they've done. But very, very... Very rarely you see businesses actually going, right, we're just going to talk purely to the people that we work with and the people we're targeting. They're not announcing that they're targeting a, a you know, we're only going to be talking to this this week. It's subtly done, but it's adding value to them. And it's what content and what information can you provide to your target audiences, which is that they're going to find useful. I mean, that's the key thing about defining value uh, and what value is. Um, and I'm sure as we continue talking, we'll go into details of what that value does and how that turns into building and turning audiences into clients, candidates, et cetera. Yeah, I love it. And um, I feel like I'm having this conversation with every guest at the moment, and it just seems like madness that so many people don't do it. But it's just that initial point you made was talking to your audience, your customers. And it's every every conversation I'm having, the same thing comes up. It's that research, this insight that's talking to people on a regular basis to figure out what they actually want to listen to. Yeah. So for sake, for example, we've got like a cybersecurity recruiter. The value in um, the more technical content can sometimes be a little bit out of reach. How do you find from a recruiter's perspective that sort of middle ground to be able to sort of kind of 
it's stuff okay. that they're knowledgeable on but sort of shine away too much of the technical stuff that may may sort of like land in so, so this is again you know I, I mentioned a minute ago like you're you're outside looking in at a lot of what other businesses are doing seeing what we're yeah looking for good content looking for bad content um one of the key things that i've seen a lot and we've worked with businesses that have done this in the past has been that they've gone a recruiter's decided or a business or brand has decided that they are recruiting into the cyber security space Therefore, they should be industry experts, thought leaders in that space. And what you find is they produce really vanilla, generic content, which is often stripped from research, which you can find on Google, trying to educate cybersecurity professionals in how to do. So, for example, you know, you could be a program director in cybersecurity teaching them how to suck eggs. They're already experts in that field. They already know their space and they will have their sort their their sources and their information, information uh, publications, for example, that they'll go to to find the latest knowledge on that. What they don't expect is a recruiter to come on board and go, actually, I, I'm an, I know everything there is to know about cybersecurity and I'm going to educate you on this because you're just going to embarrass yourself. And it just it, it makes that content just really nobody's interested in. One of the key things that I educate a lot of the businesses that we work with is actually whilst you are you're immersed in that market and you recruit day in, day out in the cybersecurity space, you're not an expert in those things. You know, you know enough, you know what's going on, but what you are doing is every day you're talking to clients, you're talking to candidates, you're talking to TA teams, HR departments. Inadvertently, what you're doing is you're actually, you're building up knowledge of all these different trends and all these different challenges and all these different success stories that are happening, but not realizing it, not documenting it. So you become a conduit, you become like a funnel almost in the middle of all this different information. Then you become knowledgeable. And with that knowledge that you can then go, well, actually, I've got a platform here that I get all this information coming into me, assists me in finding, finding people for jobs and working with businesses in order to be able to build teams. I can flip this and turn around and go, actually, that's knowledge I can share out with the outside world. You don't go right into the in-depths of IP and general scenarios in certain businesses, but you can go out and go, out of the 10 companies I've worked with in the last three months, the common trends are this, this, and this. This is how four of our clients have, have got around this. This is how four of our clients are currently now dealing with it. That's thought leadership and that's value that you can share with a whole range of other businesses that don't have that level of expertise. One of the key things which happens in every business is you only know what you know, unless you're very hot and you go out and network and you've got community groups that you can share with. Hayden, you and I are in a couple of community groups, which are recruitment marketers and specialists that all share knowledge from there. You're not going to have that level of exposure, but actually going to a recruiter that does talk to 15, 100 different businesses a month and 15, 100 candidates a month, they're going to have information of, of what's going on in the outside world. And that's where your value is. And that's where you can then flip that. And you become, you become a conduit for that value that's coming with different sources. And you can comment and, and produce bits of content around that. So this is a key thing there. The other key thing is, is, is you are an expert of recruiting into that space. And that's... What the tactics recruit? How do you go about it? How's the best way you can attract people in cybersecurity, for example, to come and work for your program? Or, or what's the type of skills that you need to come in to rescue a program that's just falling behind or failing? That's where you are a court leader. And actually, that's what you're, if you take the time to speak to your audience, target audiences. That's what they expect of you. They expect you to be the expert and they'll come to you to get that information. And that's where you can add your real value. Yeah, I love that. Um... I really like the uh, analogy of uh, being a conduit of knowledge. I really like that. It's, it's quite strong. Um, I always say, like, lean on the consultant in recruitment consultant and start, you know, being a bit more insight driven and consultative in what you're doing. Um, so you touched there about the 
the communication that happens all the time with obviously the, the, the recruitment consultants in the company and they can be such a good font for knowledge because they're having those conversations. How do you sort of implement processes in place for your for the sort of clients you work with of getting that information out of the sales team and into the hands of marketing to then go and produce good content? Very much depends on the business. Um, you typically can't go onto a sales floor, recruitment floor and go, right, tomorrow you're going to do this and that because it's going to help marketing. You have to first relate it to them and saying, look, you're going to, you do is you understand how many hours a day are consultants on the phone? How many hours a day are they sending LinkedIn messages and emails and doing the cold typical, are you looking to recruit? Then it's a case of under, educating them on the benefits of what marketing can do for them in terms of raising their profile um, and how port leadership can basically generate inbound engagement and build networks, et cetera. When that bit happens, you can then sort of go and say, imagine if you were only spending half an hour making five sales calls because your next three hours are going to be qualifying in inbound inquiries from bits of content. So it's how you translate what marketing is going to do, which is going to immediately save them time, but also improve their bottom line. If you get that bit right, that's when they're, they're open. They're open to change and they're open to engagement. What they're not going to do is go, I'm busy enough as it is. I'm chasing the next placement or I'm, I've, I've got to find this X, Y, and Z for my client by the end of play tomorrow. It's going, well, let your marketing support you and build your desk for you. Um, and this is how it can do, basically. And it is saving time, saving money, as I just said there. Then it's a case of stripping back and going, right, how many conversations are you having a day? What are the questions you're asking them? And what are you doing with that information answering? Are you actually listening to them? Or are you asking questions to build rapport? And then the information is going from one ear and out the other, which is, if you're just having 20 conversations a day, very likely that's going to happen. And asking what they do, how they document it, are they sick on a database? Do they work on a crib sheet? And then give them particular questions that you, you want to do is almost have a tangible answer from. And then you start documenting those answers. And over a period of a week, two weeks, three weeks, you go, I've now got 13 examples of that and a 13 example of these trends that all sitting side by side. That's a common talking point. That's a common pain point that people are asking. And then you flip that and then you turn that. And then basically, ideally, your consultants go back and go, right, marketing department, next month, can we do a piece on X, Y, and Z? And then the marketing person goes, it's holy grail time for those guys. They're like, oh my God, consultants coming to us with good, tangible content ideas rather than, can you, can you make this look pretty? Or can you, can you put my face on something so I get my brand out there? It's, that's where the value is. And collaborating then with the marketing, um, marketing team to produce that content, which goes out not just on the company channels, but your own personal channel as well. Yeah, I love that. Um, that's perfect. Really like that. Um, and it's kind of that, it's, you, you then bring in the, the sales team into marketing projects, aren't you? So you don't, isn't it, it creates that bridge between you two. Instead of yep. you both being siloed in your own little little space. So, one of the questions I've got here is, you know, what what does what does great look like when a company is providing that that value through their marketing? Um, lacing it back to that, it's time and resource, and it's the amount the amount of business spends on their sales output and their outreach. How many hours of man, man, resource hours go into that? How many, how many, how much money are you investing in technology to track all the data, for example? And it's looking at that and stripping it back and going, right, okay. So as you said there, having having the marketing and sales working side by side, is having that 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 marketing strategy laced in with your sales up there 
This is a key part of our sales funnel is to have this. It's not a reactive, it's not an internal support mechanism. Um, I'm involved with another business um, which talks about hiring marketers for recruitment businesses. And one of the slogans that is putting your marketers up front with your sales and resourcing teams. That's when it looks great is when you can tangibly look at this and go, we're making this much investment in sales staff, this much resourcing, this how many hours a day we need them to do X, Y, and Z to create, to generate the metrics, you're going to get these results. And then going, our marketing is allowing us to be more efficient and saving us money by generating X, Y, and Z. So what you, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here because then you start messing around with marketing budgets and stuff as well. But it's having a set marketing-led business. Recruitment businesses historically have always been sales-led sales-driven, outreach, pick up the phone, doing emails, going out and networking, messaging. It's having a marketing-led business in the truest sense where marketing sits the long time alongside your sales function. What what looks great is that's the theory behind it, which is the holy grail which everyone wants to try and achieve. Um, what looks great is when that content, that personal brand is creating those opportunities. And one of the key things, which we've, we've not delved into this at the moment, but um, you and I will, will appreciate this, is the amount of businesses look at it and go, I'm spending a load of mar- money on marketing. Hypothetically, I think it's doing well for us. I think it's creating conversations, but not tracking it. Because they don't, do is they don't track source stuff, through, um, source information through their database, unless it's an ad response. So it's tracking that and going, that's a marketing-generated conversation. What is very difficult to do, and there's many marketing professionals out there that will put, hang their hat on this and will say, We'll guarantee you ROI and generate you hundreds of thousands of pounds of revenue. I've seen campaigns which talks granular figures of how much they're going to guarantee for businesses. You can never control the order value in recruitment. It's got too many too many key components involved. There's humans involved, which is the hardest commodity in the world to sell or commodify because of emotions and that as well and expectations. But on the flip side of that is to a man and say, right, marketing is going to be responsible for generating 100 grand of revenue next month. But it can be, it can be responsible for generating 200 grand of a potential pipeline in conversations. And that's what you track is that ROI point. It's great to be able to go at the end and go, oh, actually, marketing have actually started this and it's generated that much revenue. But there is a recruitment recruiter and a consultant and the right candidate and the job board and the advertising platform all in between that also played that part. And the process management, of course. Yeah, I think um, when you start taking away the idea of the old school mindset of like you've got sales and marketing as separate departments and start lumping them all together in that revenue yeah. department. And so, and this is kind of like the, the sort of the, the minds of thinking with like demand, general demand capture. It's that sort of next evolution of where the market is evolving and people are getting smarter. And you've just got such yeah. a long buying process, especially in recruitment when the fees are so high and the buying cycle is so long, you become it becomes as much more. Um, longer process it's not become some kind of SaaS product where you can really like track that that marketing campaign has really landed that there's so many things at play um yeah. one of the things we're sort of implementing at the moment for roi is the uh self-appointed attribution so it's like where did you hear about us sort of like pre-filled at the end of every person that um, yeah. comes in and then you start thinking as your marketing is more like channels so oh like the podcast that's having actually many people have mentioned that and that's actually got 60 percent most of the like saa um that's that's working let's invest more money into that whereas like you know doing these pr campaigns or some kind of like mm. seo campaign is just not working as well as it used to and looking at it channel wise um going on to the theory of roi you know for your clients i'm sure you're you're having the same issues and the same sort of um, challenges of figuring out 
you know, what, what really works for you in terms of finding return on investment and sort of what sort of advice would you give to marketers there? Because it can sometimes be a quite struggle, isn't it, with the data and splitting between the vanity metrics and the actual ones that mean something? Yeah. Um, are we, so I think it's, again, it's twofold. It's in case of marketing performance as a whole and how we, you, you demonstrate growth and you go, you're doing all the right things going that way. Um, if, we, if I cover off the first bit in terms of how that relates immediately back to our, our clients, it is that piece around their, their data capture, their CRM is, is their source. So you mentioned obviously the piece that you're, you're doing with your clients there is going right back. And one of the first questions we do ask is, what's your CM, CRM? What platform are you on? What's your coding like? And then it's, it's almost on the end, but sometimes it's a case of, right, we'll start doing the X, Y, and Z, but these are all the key steps you have to do. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to get a true result back from it. So you'll never be able to, we can't tangibly tell you all this information if you're not tracking at your end and you've not got the right tech that's pulling through. Yeah, you know, it, it's even like job applications. And we worked with a particular client recently. They had a list of 15 different candidate source tools and manually was done by consultants. Number one was LinkedIn on the list. So every consultant clicked LinkedIn, went through, where'd you get your candidate from? This one's come from LinkedIn. But they were spending 50, 60,000 pounds per other job boards throughout the year. And I was like, well, how are you talking about, oh, that, we've got some data, but we can't, we haven't sat down quite a line back to see which one's performing the best. LinkedIn by far, and it's like, alphabet, immediately step one, if you're gonna be that manual, alphabetalize your source, your source thing, what, give it a month and see what happens. So they did that, adjusted it all like A to Z, the top two dropdowns were all of a sudden the highest source codes because consultants were just like, they were filling out what they felt was an admin process because they were like, I've got to move on to the next piece of business here. Don't really care about this source thing. Um, and it was only then, and it was like, when we started breaking down to that, then go, right, it was an education piece internally, but then we flipped that. We came back and going, actually, this marketing started to work and consultants were starting to go, I picked up a job today from that, piece of content where last week that I was tagged in or I was contributed to this is working really well and then they see the value back and then they start seeing we turn back and go that person would never have answered the phone to me. never seen an email and they've just phoned in to talk to me off the back of that piece of content so then they see the value and then it's flipping it that way then as well and going right okay every person you talk to ask the question how did you hear about us how have you come in did you how have you applied to this if you're not sophisticated and got sophisticated CRM and tech behind you and you're doing it quite manual, is ask that. And the more you can contribute back to marketing, the more we can spend on marketing and the more marketing can do for you and make your life easier. That's the transformation. And you, what you see is these the consultants then becoming almost advocates of marketing. And they see themselves as an, I'm a recruitment consultant, but actually my outreach and my lead generation and my clients and my candidates is a multifaceted of me and my activities. It's always worked well for me. I've been doing this for 10 years. But marketing is also playing a very key part in me generating more opportunities. And that's where it's winning hearts and minds, but not just sitting in a room going, this is all the things you can do for you. It's giving them tangible results and going in small, baby, baby steps, building it up, building it up. And then when they see the return on it, that's when they flip and go, I need to get more involved in that. Mm, absolutely. You find a lot of the time it's like things like this, you know, sorting out the data attribution, and also the strategy. It's the unsexy stuff, isn't it, really? Yeah. I, mean, I find it quite exciting, especially the strategy. But a lot of marketers will just want to go out and create fancy ebooks and video campaigns and podcasts and things like that. Um, but from your mind, is this kind of like first steps, get your house in order thing kind of thing before you start doing anything else with marketing? 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You can start small. And a lot of what we do is small um, because a lot of the times we've we've engaged with businesses and they're like, right, well, it's what we want to spend. This sort of returns that we're hoping for. And it's that education piece of business owners as well is, you know, you're not going to spend X and get Y immediately. It's a case of these are going to be the second thing to go through. But by year one, by year two, by year three, you can case study this as well. And taking them on that journey and really managing the expectations there as well. Um, there are a lot of business owners out there will classically want results the next week. Um, but a lot, a lot of more forward thinking business owners are more savvy now because they're obviously investing their time and also their own efforts into researching marketing and what power marketing is. And they're looking at competitors going, we're not doing this. We need to be, yeah, why are they successful? We look what they're doing on marketing, look at the content, look at the feedback I've had from clients of, you guys are great, you should see what, we've started working with this agency, why? Because I got X, Y, and Z. You've worked with me for five years, why would you suddenly go somewhere else? I'm delivering. They, They were doing something different. Yeah, I love that. And do you think marketing plays, obviously I know the answer to this one, but do you think marketing plays a strong deciding role in, you go for as a company for the client to choose do you think that can play a pivotal decision across um, spectrum things like price etc it can to some extent and i think the key thing is is people people will buy from people they'll buy from businesses but ultimately want results so no matter how much you are as a thought leader and an expert and you built their trust on that side you've still got to also be able to deliver on what you're saying you can do so there is an underlying which i say to all our clients is don't whilst you can talk about talk to them every day don't forget to talk about yourself and have that almost 80 20 split saying thought leadership value add content 80 percent of the time 20 percent. don't forget to say we are a recruiting business this is what we do and these are our results but not braggy results um they have to be very much this is the pain point of a business that we work with these are the challenges they face and this is a solution and then here's a actual words from that person. And you can capture that in different ways, sort of thing. Just reinforcing the message is yes, we've got we've caught your attention. You've you engaged with us, we've built a trust thing. You're looking at it's going, well, that's a quality business. They're getting, and then it's a case of they're producing results with our potentially our competitors that we're not getting from our current providers. And that's where you build that where you, you can give yourself a competitive edge over your competition. Yeah. Perfect. I like what you said about the 80, the 80, 20 split. I would definitely agree with you on that. And it's, you know, you've got to leave room to, to sell sometimes. I don't know if you know, if you've seen it before, but you see a lot of people, they, they take the value and then they, they try and spin the sale into it all at once. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? And do you feel like there should be like a, a marked difference between the two? There's a, I think you've got to do a bit of both. And again, it's the balance. It's when, when it gets to the point where you are just pitching all the time. Um, it's the same as if you want to sat in a room with people at a networking event and somebody comes up to you and goes, oh, hi, what do you do? Okay, how do you get on there? We can solve that for you straight away and then immediately pitch them at it. And I think that's the, it's getting the balance is almost that case of if you get all the right thing, if you capture people's attention, you demonstrate your knowledge, your personality, your tone, they're going to be, they're going to be interested. They're going to listen to you. And if you do it right, you don't ever have to sell. You don't ever have to pitch because they'll, they'll be curious enough to go, what, what, what can you now do for me? These are the, or this is the challenge I have. How can you solve this? And that's the flip there. You do need to reinforce that though. And as I said, that's where that 80 to 20% um, balance is so powerful, especially recruitment businesses as well, is that re- not only just reinforce your results, but also reinforce the type of exposure you've got as well. So 
you know, making sure that the types of roles that you're regularly recruiting for are front and center, because it demonstrates that you are, you are regularly speaking to the candidates that they're looking to recruit for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, love that. And I like how you've sort of, you've used the humanizing aspect of thinking about social media and marketing. So some people sometimes a bit of a disconnect, don't they? But imagine you're in a room with these people, you're not going to sell to them like crazy, but then you see it sometimes happening on LinkedIn all the time. So it's gone. So I was just say, I, I've no, 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 you, you go. So one, of the, one of the key things I've found is, um, especially working now in the world we're in, is having calls, meeting people at events, networking events, is you start seeing the same people. And it's almost a bit of a personal joke. You're like always selling, always selling. Watch this person come in the room. I've said something, but and in my in my own mind, I'm like, watch this person. Within a minute, they're going to pitch themselves. And out comes a business card and it's shaky. And you're just like, it's so insincere. You've made the effort to go and talk to somebody. And within, you've turned it into a sales pitch within minutes. And it's the same with networking events. Is I've, We've been involved in marketing network events, businesses. And you'd be amazed the difference between ones that are clearly from industry providers, tech companies that are, it's going to be a pitch versus you're going to learn something from this. You're going to walk away. But here's an expert from this company and this is what they do in a nutshell. But you have to be very clear. You will not be pitched at this. Almost that's how bad it's got is you will not be pitched. The difference between the ones that are clearly pitch mechanisms and the ones that are thought leadership and learning exercises are massive. You get five people turning up to that. You get 50 people turning up to this. If you do the, if you do the, you present yourself properly and you present your knowledge and your experience and your advice properly, you don't have to sell because they'll naturally people will come to you. And we picked up businesses off me chipping in on video calls with a, an opinion on something which is unrelated to marketing, but I'd spent four weeks talking to business owners about this same challenge that kept popping up. I provided some insight into that, going, well, X, Y, and Z, and um, picked up two of the clients we work with now off the back of that. I messaged you straight away going, I want to know more about that. And I'm also curious what you guys do. Yeah, nice. So, yeah, I mean, it put, puts me right off if I'm, you know, jumping on a webinar or something along the lines of that, I've seen it, and it just turns into a huge sell. Yep. And one of the ways that you can like softly sell is is the case study, isn't it? The testimonial, the, the success story that you've done with someone in your industry as it is. Um, so we'll finish up on this on this value because I feel like we've got massive amounts of value from this. Um, <laughs> but, um, but say you've got you've got your house in order, um, you've got some of your sales and team, you've got some research touch points going on, and you're starting to get an idea. What's the next step for then going away and creating some really sort of tangible, good piece of valuable content? I think it's you've got to decide on the three. The, you've got to you've got to put a very clear and schedule in play. Understand the type. What, define exactly what you want to be content you want to be putting out. Because ultimately, that's what you're going to become famous for. You're going to be a you're going to be a place where people are going to go to get information on X, Y, and Z. Your brand is going to become famous for being knowledgeable and knowledge sharing in this particular area. It's building that out, deciding the, the the volume and the frequency of it as well. That's very dependent on the amount of internal resource you've got, the amount of buy-in you're getting from recruitment businesses. It depends on the size of the business. If, you're, if you've got a very small department and they've got some very ambitious financial figures, you can't expect them to drop everything and spend two or three days collaborating with you to produce content. It's understanding exactly what's capable, what's possible, what resource you've got, and then putting a plan around that. And then, as I said earlier on, it was achieving that 80 20% is how much, what other content types can we do to get to the point where we're putting out enough thought leadership, but also it's varied and it's interactive and it's we're having purpose behind it as well. And where you said earlier on is actually 
if we're going to talk about this, we do need to lace in a bit of a brand promotion with this because we do want to generate some inbounds directly about, I want to work with you this. That's why that testimonial is relevant. So I think that's the key step is it's different for every business, um, understanding how much content you want to be putting out and then really defining that. And then that puts you a very clear, as simplistic as it sounds, if you get a month's worth of content going, these are the key steps you need to do on that. Then go out and produce that go out and develop that content research work with your sales guy one thing i would say is don't sit in the back office as a marketer go and sit with your sales because if you don't get information out of people i guarantee if you're sat there like side by side with them on the sales floor you will overhear the conversations between jim and joe sat opposite each other and they'll, they'll share the conversation they've just had about a client always listen and it's that's where you can capture some of that information as well so i think that's the key thing is plan ahead plan a month two months ahead work out exactly what's capable within your business, what you can push out and then start building it from there. Yeah, I love it. I love the changing your environment. Absolutely, I completely agree. And, and getting out and going to events and things like that as well. Yeah. Playing a bit of a part in that. Um, last, last question on this, because it's just something popped to my head when you sort of um, mentioned, what do you want to be famous for? It's one of my favourite questions to always ask yep. about anything really. Um, do you recommend that you stick to like a few core value pillars? And then you just kind of get really sort of known for those. Yes, yes, I'm, I've seen it tried and tested, and it works. And I, I, I can document results from it. That's the key thing: is is very much defining what you want to be known for, what you want to be famous for, and then sticking to it. And what you don't want to do is go off piece and go, oh, actually, that's happening in the market. That's well, let's react to that because it disjoints everything that your existing or your new, especially your new audiences but your existing audiences that keep coming back, those repeat visitors, people that are stopping and looking at your content, clicking through to your website. If you start doing something which is completely left field, it, will, it, won't, it won't engage them, if that makes sense, as much as the content that you've already been doing. So I would definitely say root in your key content pillars that you want to be famous for and stick to that as well. There is adjustments. You will find as you start looking at reporting and looking at the results and where you're getting stuff back, you, you can react and respond to underperforming stuff. Every business, will, every marketing function will go, we got that wrong. We're just not hitting the mark or we're behind the curve or everyone else is now talking about this. You do adjust and move, but you've got to still keep on the same theme. Even if it's like headlined in terms of this content is designed to add value to you effectively. So you can change the topics and break off from there, but the overarching content theme has to remain the same. Yeah, That's okay. where you will be famous. So, Yeah, nice, nice. Um, yeah, and I think any anyone that's wanting to sort of think, oh, look, what do I actually talk about pillars? But for me, what I always say is, go do your qualitative research, find out, you know, what the challenges are, like we've discussed here, um, and then choose a sub niche and do something called a content umbrella, um, and then figure out some core like sort of pillars within that sub niche yeah. as well to create topics. And even use ChatGPT to generate ideas. I've I've got some amazing ideas of just chucking that through an AI machine <laughs> just to get you going. Um, I feel like I've created a perfect, a beautiful, we might say, segue into our next uh, question topic, and it is owning your space. Um, okay. How to own the space in your audience mind. That's what we discussed, wasn't it, before? So, so yep. what does this look like? You know, what are your thoughts behind this? So I think it's, you've got to, you've got to be based on research. You've got to be based on knowledge, and it's you've got to define not only what is going to captivate and interest your target audiences, but what's unique. And it, 
there is a lot of me too businesses out there, both recruitment businesses, but also agencies and suppliers into recruitment that go, we need to be the same level as that agency there. We need to be doing the same as them. That's a me too. And that's like watching, you know, it's like watching a movie and then watching a, 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 yeah, a foreign ripoff of it. It's almost identical. And it's like, we, it's a copycat. It's a replica. I'm not interested. I'll, I'll go to the original source or whoever does it better. It's really, it's, it's having, being famous for being really unique in, your, in, in what you're talking about. Nobody else is. And that's not easy. It's not a case of being able to go, I've got this brilliant idea. It's come to me overnight where this, nobody else is doing this. It's actually understanding and finding the gap that nobody else is doing. So you've got to do your research. You've got to really delve in deeply in terms of what other businesses are doing, what's their content types, talking to people. And being as blatant as talking to candidates and clients as well, if you're, if you're looking at it from a recruitment point of view, is who's doing it really well? And what information would you want from us? Um, so it's researching, interviewing your target audiences. And yeah, I'm sure you guys are the same. We go into a business, we ask to interview clients, we ask to interview candidates, we ask to interview recruiters. And one of the key questions is, if you were to look at a recruitment business, what information would you want? And then that's where, that's where you start. And that's how you own the space of people's mind is your differentiator, your uniqueness and what you talk about. Yeah, love it. And it's when you start digging into, you know, the boardroom with the with the senior leadership team, you can sometimes, you know, sometimes we had a conversation about values and they get really passionate about one of their values and some they're not too interested about. And you're like, that's it. That's your differentiator. You I mean, it's like right under you and if your nose. But yeah, the research, but it's that blue ocean thinking, isn't it? Trying to get away from yeah. the red ocean where all the blood is and trying to find somewhere where you can create your own unique space. Um love that how has Holt done that and because obviously okay. it's uh you've been doing it you've done a great journey and you've created a unique proposition yourself um and i'm sure you you know as we all do try to practice what we preach so you know how has Holt done this so when this i i wouldn't say it's a masterstroke this was very much when i looked at what i was going to do and when we how we what Holt would be and what our what our plan was to sort of launch it and scale it and do everything we've done is the first thing I did was actually practice what we, I preached. I go, right, yeah, this is not rocket science. This is stuff that I know, live and breathe, and done this with multiple brands in my previous organizations. So I did exactly that. Did it really subtle, under the radar, went out and talked to mostly about 30 or 40 recruitment business owners. I came from a business that was very much an income. It, it grew very quickly through acquisitions of other companies but it was a natural incubator a bit like an s3 group almost where people broke off and set up their own businesses and these aren't sort of like oh just people that are one-man bands sat in their back gardens these were businesses that quickly scaled to multi-million pound turnover businesses because they had so much they had such a great education had such a great um experience in the process that they had from the business i worked for that they were able to implement that in their own business put their own spin on it and do it their own thing um, from there so i spoke to a lot of different businesses and asked them about their marketing and after the, oh, I wish we had you, we've missed you since we left and done our own thing. And when we delved into it, it was actually, it was a case of, right, these are the pain points of my, what is going to be my target audience. Now, I, in my mind, when I went to do this, I was going to go after startups. I thought this is where I could really add the value. Go after startup recruitment businesses and offer them all the capabilities of a big corporate marketing function for, for a fraction of the price. Whether that be me and supported by freelancers before we grew. Well, I quickly established, there's actually startups haven't got any money. They do everything as cheap as possible, get their name out there. They'll leverage their own brand initially, like their own personal brand and their own networks. 
they'll build and scale. And at that point, they'll then be on that position to go stage two. So we then leveraged ourselves as going, well, actually, we want to be, our target audience is going to be stage two recruitment businesses as in they go stage their growth. And then we built our services around them. And with our services, we then built content themes around them. So the name Holt came from scroll stopping. So if you're scrolling through your, Google, you're scrolling through social media, you stop, you engage with something. That's where the name Holt came from. Um, we leveraged that bit and was like, actually, that's how businesses can stand out in an overcrowded market and leverage from there. So social media content plans, which was very much designed to be value-add, purpose-driven bits of social media, three, four, five posts a week that would captivate and engage target audiences and drive them to your website or speak to your consultants. The same with the branding, the same with the creative piece there. And we've sort of basically formulated those products, but our content off the back of that was very much focused around what's the impact can social media have? What can this do? Yeah, how can a small business be able to talk about this and do that? Funny enough, as we evolved, we got, and you've experienced the same thing, where you scale so quickly, you, you, you can't hire as fast as demand, you almost turn off your own marketing. So it's like, I can do all this great marketing stuff, but I'm going to be embarrassing myself if I go, hi, yeah, well, we want to outsource our stuff, our social media too. Sorry, we haven't got any capacity at the moment. And you're like, oh, but mate, wasting was great content. So we almost paused it for about nine, 12 months um, and then focused on the actual, right, we know we can get that business coming in. We know what business is waiting to work with, what pipeline. So that's where we switched that there. So we came from being very much known for these product sets, and the, the, the results and the thought leadership behind it. So actually, that's an agency, but they're doing some really cool stuff. And if you look at them, it's not Chris Cranter on his back bedroom anymore. They're in an office and they've got merch and they've got that. They're featuring their people. And we focused everything switch on what we're keeping and preventing us from growing was actually hiring the team and hiring the right people within that team. So all our content switched that way. So we became famous for being that outsourcing agency that do X, Y, and Z. And, but it actually was a case of we're now the agency that become famous because if you see what they've done, you've seen their growth story. And it's not been ramming it down people's throat. It's been commenting, commentating on it almost. Like, oh, this is what's happened this week, which is the one thing actually I push back against my clients going, stop talking about yourselves all the time. It's not adding any value. It was a case where we wanted to actually produce our employer brand and raise it when and hire and attract people. We did, we, we attract people from recruitment businesses in Bristol. Yeah, people that were like, actually, I don't want to work in house anymore. I want to go work for an agency. We hired a couple of people. We had no right on paper to ever be able to attract as a startup, but we did because it was the amount of legacy evergreen content we had on our platform. So that's a classic example where it's owning that space in people's minds, but evolving depending on your strategy as well. And now we're almost at the flip now. We've got well, the team's getting bigger. We've got people that want to come and join us. We've got clients getting on the work. So it's our content will evolve again. And it will go on almost its third evolution over the last like, two and a half years. Does that answer your question? Got off on a bit yeah. of a tangent then. Absolutely. And I do have a follow-up question that you kind of started to allude to. So, so it works quite well. Um, is this something that you recommend that a business does on a regular basis? Well, as how, evolved, you, how you can own the space, be unique, you know, the blue ocean thinking. It has to be underpinned by it. Everything has to, it has to be the overarching strategy has been, we want, we must be famous for this. Everything we do is going to link back to this, whether it's subtle, whether it's direct, it has to link back to that because it's the, it's the overarching impression that people have whenever they engage with your content or come across your content, it's the impression they're left behind. And then if you do it right, you create the curiosity piece. So they keep, you know, we know how algorithms work. They're clicking through your content. They're looking, researching you. You're going to be seeing more of the content over the coming days. It's having that consistently. Yeah, love it. Um, 
you mentioned growing quickly and obviously you guys have you're, you're in a great new office in a big team you know obviously that comes with its challenges what, how have you nurtured your culture and, and your team and what are some of the you know the, the, the things that you've learned through the journey so far um a couple of different ways uh i want to try and portray this that i'm not an expert in this area a lot of it we've landed on our feet or we've just got something right we've definitely made mistakes along the way as well um it started off with very much very much it was i, I almost left the recruitment industry completely about 12 13 years ago I had an opportunity to go and do something a little bit different within the marketing creative space and my head got turned by the business I ended up working for. And one of the key things that they said to me is the reason why I set up a business is I wanted to create a world that I enjoyed coming to work with every day. And like all these things that frustrated me and all the value and all the, the web processes and stuff, I want to strip it all back and be really much down to, if I set the stone in terms of a business I want to work in every day, every time you hire, you evolve and you grow around those. So your processes change, your ways of working, your first things you get up to, things like that, evolves around the people rather than going black and white, set it in stone. And the, the number one thing was don't force anything. No matter what, you, whether you think it's right or wrong, don't force anything. Let stuff just naturally conclude for itself. Um, and it will evolve over time. So that's one of the things we did within that. And what I found was we brought people in and there was ways about how I managed the, the motivations and stuff as well. Um, but what we found is actually people just came in and made it their own a little bit. And it was one of the key things which has come out from the session we've done today, funny enough. It's been a case of actually people felt like they were they were building something. And it wasn't a case of I'm just building something for the boss. They were building an environment that they were working and thriving in. So that was the not so concise answer to that one. Um, but I think that was the key thing is if you do anything, don't force it. Don't try and lead it too much or put your own stance on it. Set the foundation in terms of, these are the basic parameters which we want to, to have in business. Let everything else grow around it. And then when it gets to the point where it's scaled to the point where it's like, right, we're bringing in more people. How do we, how do we appoint those people? How do we select them, bring them in, make sure they're the right culture and the right fit? And that's where we drive in terms of mission, vision, values and stuff. We've, only, we've always had a mission and a vision since day one, but we've only two, two and a bit years down the line. Now we find what that's going to be moving forward. And it's almost a case where the team, there's 10 people involved in that process. They've chosen that. They've selected what they are and come back and said, these are our values. This is what our vision is, what our missions. And it was nothing I looked at and went, that's not correct. Out of all the trends, all the things that's going back, I was like, that's, that's, that's completely false or that's not quite accurate. It's because I've lived and breathed that world that they've created around them as well. So there's no stroke of genius on my part. It was just don't force it, bring off. The other key thing as well is I made a very clear stance. Someone said to me, oh, I need to find some information for a client on Glassdoor. It's forcing me to leave a review. What do you want me to do? And I was adamant. I said, do not leave a review. I said, you, you, said, you leave a review when it's right for you to leave a review on Glassdoor. I have a very skeptical view of Glassdoor. I think it's massively authentic. And I think it's really, it's where you really get an understanding, but it's also a platform for bitter as well. That's why I said, I said, don't leave reviews. I said, if you ever want to review us, you do it in your own time and your own mechanism. Why? Over the course of the next six months, we were having random posts coming out on LinkedIn on a Saturday afternoon of one of our teams that just went, I've had an amazing six months. It's all the things I've achieved. This is the things that the working at Holt's allowed me to do. And then they've gone and shared it. Never been forced, never coached or tailored. And I reshared one of them. I said, this is a classic example of how you build a culture is you don't force it. You don't have... We don't have values. We've not set this. So we never ask for reviews. Let your own team do it in their own time, basically. And that's that. one of the key things we built from there. So. 
yeah, yeah and oh, yeah, yeah. no i was going to say it's a, it's a similar thing that's you know happens to us is like you said the journey like my journey as a marketer it's evolved so i've went from like social media to email marketing to content to strategy and then into web development it's just such a there's a big spectrum isn't there and you everyone else is the same so yeah we do something very similar it's like yeah, you come in as this role but if you want to learn something you know one of our main values is just like that tenacious learning being able to evolve and keep upgrading yourself as a person um and if someone in my in a company was like oh, i'm really interested in data or i'm really interested in seo or oh that's great let's build a service software and around you and let's let, give you the maximum um benefit so you can stay and stay and sort of thrive in the business um sorry what was you going to say chris um i was going to say it was underpinned by um in terms of exactly that is one of the key things that values uh, has generated is actually the value is this but it's, we've come up with five or six key processes and keys company structural changes which we're already aware of we've, we've all talked about it and had ideas but these values are driving that that's what we're going to hang our hat on internally that's what we want to be known, almost known for internally what we wake up every morning striving to achieve and exactly that is actually it's building the business and now going from being a culture that's built around the people that's there already so now it's actually what's our service offering going to be how is that going to advance and grow and it's people going you know what i've exactly that is we've got two seo experts and they're like we can create a product here we can create a service offering our clients are screaming for it we're experts in it but actually we don't go to market about that we don't even, even tell the world that we're specialists in it but we are so it's that it's actually a case of like we'll take this forward and you actually end up building a division and then we've already gone from having one agency and it's with just we do a bit of these key things now we've got three specialist divisions in the agency and the scaling of those departments is yeah the demand on those departments is huge already and it's like well actually there's nothing stopping us having three four five there is a scenario where you end up diluting what you do so you have to make sure it's pillared there but it is let, let your people drive your business forward and work with them yeah i love that um last sort of question on um culture and, and people and sort of the topics we're discussing about um one thing that you mentioned in our previous chat was um managing motivation and complacency i thought that was a really interesting uh point um do you want to sort of dive into that a little bit more for us yeah um it's this is what i've I had some thought about because i thought this was definitely going to come up today is um i've talked about all the pros of bringing people into the business you know in empowering them letting them build the culture and, and careers that they're rewarded one of the key things which um, previous colleagues of mine will say talk about is in a world where everyone's busy, the head's down, you can become almost quite isolated in your own world. I've got a knack of being able to hear everything that's going on in the room and being itself aware of different behaviours, different trends, always listening, always watching things like that as well. And what I did is, um, be careful how we pitch this, I don't have ever present this internally, is actually have sort of key seven or eight core pillars, are like almost... I don't want to call them red flags, but triggers. So if some a behavior or a reaction or response has been one of these key triggers, then it's a case of document it. Don't jump on it straight away. Document it, monitor it, then go again. And then almost sit there with that person and go, you know, discuss those points. I've noticed this. I've noticed that. Something right here. Or I noticed this situation. And nip stuff in the bud. But that's been one of the key things to be able to manage and motivate motivate people but also avoid that complacency piece um, i've seen amazing people i work with over the years that have become really complacent um and ultimately lost their jobs or have been you know i worked in a very acquisition heavy business that acquiring departments and teams and you see people going i'm gonna set my hand i've been running this show for four or five years i know what i'm doing 
they're gone in six months and it's just like god you just got complacent you know and you and that's one of the things i've picked up in these behaviors so i i've read them down i can run through them really quickly to mind for time wise on this but these key pellets are things like you know noticing disinterest in people you know lack of enthusiasm yeah or absence of that enthusiasm when that sort of drops is and they're normally very enthusiastic about this subject but they're not today it might be just a one-off fine second time it happens there's something there second one is initiative as well i'm very 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 blessed where all my guys are really the amount of initiative they have and they come up with ideas and almost too much sometimes they say, Man, I do a day job. <laughs> the idea is great. But it's when it's the opposite and it's like I've heard nothing from that person all month. I've not seen them use their own, own initiative at any point in the last few weeks. They're all right. Um, resistance to change is, is really powerful. And I think that's one of the key things is we've been on such a, a steep sort of growth path that change comes natural with it. Um, is whenever there's change, whenever there's going to be a, a process, whether it's you know, working location, systems, internal processes, it's monitoring that change. And then if it's resisted heavily, why? And actually what you then do in, is understanding the response to that. And that's what I'll get to the end of this. You know, things like cutting corners, zoning out as well, just disinterest of what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, but the, the most, some of the key things was being over, uh, overwhelmed, watching people become overwhelmed. Um, We've, we're very careful about who we work with from an overwhelming point of view. And we, if we identify during initial site, it's a discovery piece, this, this client particularly could be overwhelming to our business, we'll, we'll plug. And we've walked away from businesses that we work with for that very reason. So uh, that's really much key is, is making sure that we don't create an environment which is, it has people that are anxious and struggling with full plate of work because everyone works at their own pace and their own comfortability on that side. Um, and then managing things like the capturing things like disgruntled reactions, comments, and and that's again, it's so important. So whilst this stuff all sounds so simple, it's you'd be amazed about businesses that on business leaders that will look at this and go, all those key points that's been going on for three or four months, we've got an issue with this person. Everyone's writing about um, um, quiet quitting or silent quitting and stuff at the moment. Nip it the bud, you know, pick up on it straight away and out with the. And because ultimately there's always a solution to it, but you don't know until you sit down with the person and go, I've noticed this, I've noticed that. Is anything we can do differently? And that in turn is not only shaped how the individual members of the teams work on a day-to-day basis, but then their motivation. They're never complacent because it's not like Chris is always watching, he's going to call me out on this if I drop this. It's actually everything that would damaging my motivation has is been addressed. Or I work a very certain way. And that's one of the things that came out in our value session today, is everybody felt really authentic very much transparent as well and they were able to sort of yeah knew that they could be the authentic selves and what they're doing each day which is what we then subsequently try and betray and things like our social media and stuff and yeah a lot of the internal content is like what, what should we put out and the guys are like, we should do this well, i want to tell you about this and stuff like this and that's where that comes from there so. yeah absolutely yeah i love that and it's just everyone feels heard don't they and yes it's, it's any issue is only a conversation away i mean because potentially end up in something but people have issues going on don't they and something that we always say is like life comes before work so making sure that that is always happy you're going to come in and be a happy productive person in the business um yeah yeah, so i love that um chris what do you think the future holds for the recruitment industry last question and then we'll go into some quick quick fire questions Good question. I get, I've done about three or four of these podcasts over the last three years, and that's always been one that's come up. 
I don't think my, my answer's changed at all. I think it's, I'm seeing it happen. Um, I think it's, a, it's happening at a different pace now. Is one of the key things is, was the reputation on, and the reputation of the recruitment industry and the impact it has on the world and the impact it has on individuals. Um, Hayden, you and I have both worked in the industry long enough to hear the horror stories, experience it, and what it's like to work for recruitment. You tell you, you tell your mate that the pub I work in this industry, they go, oh, uh, screw the face up. I think it's the general perception of the, the world now seeing recruitment as a, is, as a value piece. It, it, it creates opportunities for people, like life-changing opportunities. And this is cliche, as it sounds, but it does generally fill it changes people's lives in terms of, of, of creates opportunities for people but most importantly it is the types of industries that recruitment now supports and it's those life-changing industries you know life sciences health tech you know, good for tech those sort of industries well you see like where recruitment playing a key part because recruitment recruiters are ultimately attracting very very bright professionals and that wouldn't normally be able to get anywhere near that industry and it's the recruiters that are plugging that hole there it's also what COVID did was identify the need for recruiters because everyone, lots of people were in uncertainty, were changing, you know, had to change jobs, forced upon them, didn't know where to turn, hadn't looked for a job in 10 years, didn't know where to go. And it was then when they started working with recruitment businesses, as yeah, from candidate perspective, they realised that's the, the value that recruiters can, can do from there. So I think that's the future holds, is that I think recruitment is going to continue to show its value to the world and be seen as a credible central part of any business moving forward it's not about innovation it's not about it's not always about innovation and doing something different or being a usp it's actually your ability to better attract the best people to deliver your dream your product your solution your purpose yeah i love that um and what you said about the uh the negative reaction to recruitment so all my friends are, are developers so <laughs> they're always like oh <laughs> recruiters getting how did it ever go on LinkedIn because they just get hounded the moment they log in but yeah no I completely agree with you I think from the candidate perspective it's someone on your side to be able to you know negotiate better money find a really good role where you might not think especially as the market gets more difficult then the client side I think as that sort of mini RPO sort of solution comes a lot more into the forefront doesn't it with recruitment rather than just straight bums on seats you you know you play more of a role in building culture and hiring processes and ultimately improving the business as a whole. Yeah, it's partnership. That's another key thing which lays on to what you just said there about the RPO piece is that with them, is the amount of businesses that aren't now recruitment consultants or recruitment agents, they're now recruitment partners. Yeah, there's 101 job titles out there, but actually the businesses that talk about partnering with organisations, whether it's on-demand, transactional, one, two, three hires a year or we're going to, you're going to outsource 100 hires to us and we're going to be your extension of your existing internal processes, give you the best knowledge, IP, practices and processes, but we'll go on this journey with you. And that's where the RPO and embedded recruitment model has really taken off. Will it, will it over, completely take over transaction recruitment? No, it's still going to be that on-demand, yeah, that day-to-day element of, I need to hire one person to re- replace somebody. Yeah, or I've got a project coming up, I need to hire two or three people. It's always going to be that element. But I think that part, partnership pieces for what really sort of been a lot more prevalent in the recruitment industry now yeah super interesting um chris quick fire question rounds okay. um it's got some quick did you see see him when i sent him over to you yeah um so and then and then we'll wrap up um so what's your favorite pizza topping it's gonna be anchovies controversial i know whoa <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> you look like a pepperoni man 
Yeah, no, it's definitely anchovies on with something else. But if I have a, if I've got any situation where I can customize my pizza, and anchovies is on the option, straight on there. You know, I don't think I've ever had anchovies on pizza before. I, I could give it a go. It's no, mate. You either love it or you hate it. Yeah, one absolutely. Of those. <laughs> right. Um, you know. Big business, a lot of people running, um, probably still delivering for clients. How, how, what's your best productivity technique? You know, how do you stay productive? Um, so I, when I read your questions earlier on, um, I was stood at, uh, with two of my colleagues in the kitchen. I was like, oh, I've got an answer. To, I've got the answer I want to give and the answer I shouldn't give. Um, I the both. answer I shouldn't have given is my productivity is based around coffee, coffee to drive you through the day and, and alcohol to wind you back down at the end. But in reality... The num- I've done this for three years now and I won't be able to do what I do on a daily basis about it is an old school day plan run with sprints so have, have by the hour broke down what are my what are my core actions I need to deliver today dum 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 list it down run in sprints stop break for two minutes if you go into the bathroom get a coffee get, get a coffee or you know get some fresh air five back at your desk go again for an hour break 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 it's not, but not allowing any distractions. My outlook goes off. You, know, you and I have emailed in the past. It might take me four hours to come back to you. Outlook goes off. Mobile gets hidden away. Um, not very rarely. Nothing can't wait. And if it's an emergency, they've got a way of getting hold of you. Yeah, that's that's my mindset of it. So it's really focusing in sprints and running that way. That's really things. Not everything can always get delivered on a daily basis. So having half the day planned for the next day and having an overshot of what you can put in. So I didn't achieve that. That's going into tomorrow. That's worked for me for years. Scaling a business, so I was putting looked at it. You could easily put in twenty hours a day as a starter. As you've been for that journey as well, I was able to very quickly get myself down to the nine hours, eight, eight, nine hour day comfortably, um, and it works for me. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I might need that actually. Um, <laughs> the the overflow thing. So I, I schedule I like schedule the morning. I have like no sort of block time, no distractions. And then I've, I kind of, I get obsessed with like mapping, like when my productivity is throughout a day. So yep. I find that my productivity really um, sort of falls off a cliff in the afternoon. So I just use that for meetings. So I just turn up and just do a meeting. It's like, it doesn't, doesn't require productivity <laughs> to throw yourself in it. Um, what's your favorite podcast? Wow. Interesting, really. It should be this one. And I expect this one will be uh, seeing some of the guests you've got on it. I won't be listening to mine, um, but I will listen to the other guests that I know you've lined up and already done the podcast with. I've got to, it's going to have to be Lonely Marketers, Glenn Southern's one. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was so reassuring when I was going down the path of researching to go down the route of setting up whole that there was, I knew there was a world out there. I just didn't realize how big it was of uh, a community. It was so reassuring hearing real life stories and relating to them as well. Going, oh yeah, that's one of the things. Um, and was almost quite flattered uh, as we launched Holt. Like Glenn reached out and said, "I'd love to get you on here." And I think it was like we were like two weeks old when I did that podcast. It was um, Halloween. We talked about um, the Frankenstein marketer. Yes, um, so yeah, it was yeah. yeah. We'd been alive for thirty days, and I was on that podcast. That's still my favorite podcast. Um, but I suspect this one's most people going to overtake it based on the guests <laughs> that you've got coming out. So. Oh, I love, love that. <laughs> Flattery goes you everywhere, Chris. Um, what company does marketing the best, would you say? This is one I really, I, I was really struggling with. There's so many. Um, I mean, it doesn't need to be recruitment. It could be any any company, you think. Yeah. What I admire and I love what they've done is surreal. I think they, I, lo- I love their tone, what they do. 
I love the fact that it's really authentic. Nobody else has done it. And the blatancy of it as well. And it's not offensive. It's not rude. Or they're just trying to make a statement for the sake of it. I think it all links back to what they want to be known for. And they, they own the space in people's mind now. They're an alternative breakfast cereal, ultimately, and health food products. I love what they do. I love how they've executed it, which the untrained eye just looks like it's been badly done. Actually, it's been done very well, how it is. The trained eye will see how well it's been done. So I think surreal is mostly the one that I'm, I'm most impressed with at the moment. But I'm, I'm fickle. I change every month. I see a new one come up and they'll they'll get my attention and I'll look at them for a few weeks and then I'll be like, oh, something new shiny to come up. Or oh, I love what they've done. Or I love how they their, their purpose statement or the positioning of their brand and how they've done. So Surreal would be the best people for doing their own marketing at the moment. Yeah, and it nice. puts a smile on my face when I look at it. So. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, any of those um, like cereal brands, because like, you've got Magic Spoon as well, they absolutely blow like the influencer marketing like when you see them all the time on youtube and stuff like that out of the water it's it's such a interesting market isn't it yeah um if you could live anywhere else in the world where would it be again really <laughs> so many if you'd asked me three years ago i would have rolled off a list of different cities and i'm naturally very curious so if I, I find out that somebody has a home there or goes on holiday somewhere i'll ask them all the key questions and then I get put off places immediately. So more recently, I would say Monaco. I'm a massive Formula One fan. So the dream of you know, living on a boat, Formula One, just that whole thing in Monaco. And then I spoke to somebody that owns a boat in Monaco. And I said, oh, I bet you love the Formula One. So they hate it. They despise it. And they spend four months of the year away from Monaco, anything to do with racing, because it just creates chaos for them. So... So that's put me off now. I'm like, oh, actually, that's a logistical nightmare. <laughs> that, that obviously is going to wear off pretty quickly. Um, if I had to answer the question, I would say I'm fortunate enough that we've got a family home in Spain. When I set up Holt, it was planned that I was going to go and spend a couple of months a year out there, work out there as me on my own um, in a back office and then enjoy Spain and all the delights there. The reality of running your own business, it's very difficult to do it remotely at that scale. And I would get distracted by the beach, the bars and Paella and be about five times the size I am now. So, uh, so yeah, uh, that's a retirement plan. I think that is the, is the best answer to that one. Yeah, nice, love it, love it, perfect. Well, thank you, Chris. I really um, appreciate you. you giving us your time. I think we we got some really good sort of like snippets out of that. So, um, just a sort of final question: If anyone wants to get in touch with you, um, you know, what's the, what's the best way? Um, I would say mostly LinkedIn. Uh, I'm notoriously bad at replying to LinkedIn messages. So I say that and go, actually, that's mostly not the best one. Um, yeah, just connect with me on LinkedIn. Drop me a message. Um, when I'm not running in sprints, I do put some time aside every week to engage with people back on LinkedIn. Um, so I would say, yeah, just search for Chris Cranshaw on LinkedIn and you'll find me there. Perfect. Thank you, Chris. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for the invite, Hayden. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much.